And as they are dismissing before, uh, before the message this morning, uh, we have, uh, we have a, a treat. A uh, brother by the name of Corey Felton, Jr. Um, Corey and I, I think we, we met... We met during uh, what was a, a, a time of crisis in, in my life uh, over the, the death of my brother, uh, and how we came to know one another is that uh, my brother Micah and Corey's brother Joe uh, sang together in the group uh, Straight Company along with uh, our, our good friend Mr. G. And so, uh, Corey reminded me last night that uh, as Matt was kind of working through some of his stuff, that uh, he and his brother Joe accompanied uh, my family uh, as we went and we uh, as we went and talked with uh, with my brother as he was trying to, to put his my other brother as he was trying to put his life back together. And so it was uh, a a deep pleasure to uh, reconnect with him again. Uh, if you've been following George G. on Facebook in Jacksonville, you know he's been busy. You know he's been uh, pounding those streets of Jacksonville, and, and uh, he is uh, going into the hood, and he's, uh, he's taking Jesus with him, and um, he is planting a church down there, and uh, Corey is working alongside George. He is uh, his worship minister, and Corey has uh, has recorded uh, an album that he is a music. They're all these original songs you've written and produced and done the engineering all himself. If you picked out your song, you know which number you want yet. Yeah. What number? Number one. Number one. If you'll cue number one up, uh, but uh, Corey is going to come and uh, bless us for the message. Please welcome Mr. Corey Felton Jr. to the stage at this time. I'd like to thank everyone here. Oh, man, the Church of Christ. When you come to a place like this, you get a feeling of home. All the smiling faces and the faces that's not so smiley. <laughs> Amen. Love has a multitude of sin. Amen. But this track I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna render uh, it's called a storm of life. All of us can relate to that. Uh, myself and uh, just going through, you know, a lot of times even those who don't believe in God, at some point in their lives they holler His name out. Do you understand me, church? They say, Lord, huh? Good Lord, oh Lord. Lord, <laughs> everyone calls on the name of God, and I think he honors that, amen? Yes. So as you can go through our separate storms, we don't have to know about them. God knows everything. There's nothing you can hide from the Almighty, amen? I can go on for days with like this, talking about making it through a storm, but I'm going to sing this song and sit on down, amen, and enjoy this worship service, amen? This is my absolute first time here. I've never been here before, and I feel like I've been here before. So y'all continue to pray for me and our travels, Mr. George G. And um, amen. 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 Storm of life. As the day begins, I can't help but wonder how it's going to end. The storms of life. 
time now Do you ever think it's going to stop? Where are the good times? Everyone's looking for Will this is for us All of the hating that's all around this world there's one thing that I know for sure All of a sudden it's going to come to an end We're in Yeah, y'all snap your fingers or something oh, I want to be among the ones I want to hear him say to me, yeah. Do you want to go? Come, I want to go. Yes, I You have done so well, my friend. Do you want to go? Yeah, yeah. I want to go. Can I get a little more? Yes, I want to go. Uh, you can try and try to live this faithful life. You will not make it. You give it up to Christ He gave his life for you So that you may live So what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? We're in Yeah Keep the faith my friend I wanna be among the ones Yeah Right through those gates of earth yeah. Come on in, come on in Oh, you've done so well, my friend Yeah, that's what he'll say to me Oh, I'm preparing now To go with him I want my mansion robing I'm trying so hard to live that dedicated life Full of faith I got to make it I'm gonna make it Let it break I mind Cause Jesus is boring He is the head of my life Oh, so I don't mind want to shout. Amen. Let me see you say hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you. One more time for Joe Fel uh, Corey Felton. And most especially for God. Amen. Come on, let me hear you. Yes, there you go. There you go. Praise God. It's been a good day. It's been a good day. It's not over yet. We've got a lot ahead. Have you ever gotten caught doing something you know you weren't supposed to do? That was not a kind laughter. <laughs> yeah, you do something dumb. 
and then you get caught. We know what that's like, right? We know what that, that feels like. It is, it is not fun. Now then, I know, I know that all of you, when you got caught for doing whatever it was you were doing, I know that you were very sorry. And I know you repented, and I know you changed, and I know you, you never did it again. But just in case you didn't, have you ever been in that situation where you, you did something foolish, you got caught, and you're not sorry that you got caught? You ever been there? I've been there. Where I know that what I'm doing is wrong, and I've been confronted about it, and I'm, I'm sorry that I got caught, but I'm not sorry about what I was doing. You, are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because that, that is a, that's a tough place to be in. And there is a, a difference between knowing you're wrong and, and feeling, feeling that you're wrong. I heard a story, this is a true story, about a man who was having an affair. And it came to light that he was having an affair, and it devastated his wife, and it devastated his, his children. And he came back for a little while, but he didn't stay. He continued to see this, this other woman. He did agree to go to counseling with his wife, and so they would go in and they would talk about the infidelity that was going on there. And, 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 and the counselor said to him, he says, do you, do you, do you know what you're doing is, is wrong? And he said, yes, I know. And he said, but yet you continue to persist in this behavior. You're continuing to, to see this other person, but yet you recognize it's wrong? And he said, yes, I, I recognize it's wrong. I recognize that what I have done is, is sin. And I've sinned against my wife. And I've sinned against my, my children. I have sinned against my God. And he acknowledged his sin. And the counselor, who was very bright, said, I hear you saying that. I hear you acknowledging your sin. But what I don't hear, what I don't hear in all of your acknowledgement of that sin, I don't hear remorse. And the man sat up very straight, and he, he, he set his face firmly to the counselor. And he says, it's because I don't feel any remorse for what I'm doing. I know that it's wrong, but I don't feel that it's wrong. I know that it's wrong, but I don't care that it's wrong. You see, it is completely possible to be spiritually bankrupt and feel no guilt whatsoever. It is completely possible possible to confess being a sinner and yet feel nothing as we do you see and to be Jesus followers it's more than than just acknowledging sin it's more than just naming sin there is more that we must do there's more that Jesus calls us to he calls us into mourning he calls us to, to mourn. Last week as we began looking at these, these Beatitudes, we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. 
Matthew wrote the, the words of Jesus and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who recognize that they cannot do it on their own, that they cannot affect their own situation. They cannot do anything to affect their salvation. They are completely at the end of the rope, dependent upon Jesus. And as we said, that's where Jesus wants us to be. It's at the end of the rope where we find our blessing. It's at the end of the rope where we find our happiness. That's what, what blessed, blessed means. It's makarios. It means to be happy. It means to be in the favor of God. Happy are those who acknowledge their sin. Happy are those, blessed are those who find themselves at the end of the rope clinging only to Jesus. You see, and the thing about the, the, the Beatitudes, they're not just these standalone statements. You don't have blessed are this and, and blessed are that and they don't just mean anything. They're not just these standalone statements. The one that you've read lays the foundation for the next one. Blessed are the poor in spirit are the pavers for blessed are those who mourn. They're linked together. They're connected. And by the time we get to the end, it's going to have to be that we've gone through those first steps, that we've learned what it means to be spiritually bankrupt, clinging to the end of our rope. It's going to need to be that we've learned what it means to, to mourn our sin. You see, last week was about acknowledging our sin and our brokenness, right? But remember what I just said. It is easily, very possible to acknowledge sin and not feel sorry about sin. It is easy to confess sin, confess to being a sinner, what a wretched man I am, and feel no remorse about it. I'm going to say steeped in that sin because I'm not sorry. Yes, I acknowledge that I did it but I'm not sorry about it. But that's where Jesus calls us to the next step. That it's not just about acknowledging sin. It's about letting Him deal with it. And so last week was blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that paved the way for verse 4 that says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Which doesn't make sense in our world, does it? Why does it make sense that in order to be happy, you have to mourn? That only makes sense in God's economy. That only makes sense through the blood of Jesus Christ. It only makes sense when we recognize that we are spiritually broken and bankrupt that's the only way that that blessed are those who mourn can possibly can we possibly make any sense out of out of what that is saying you see there's at least three types of, of mourning that come to mind the first is the most obvious the mourning that comes about when we experience a loss the loss of a family member the loss of a loved one the loss of a spouse or a, or a parent We grieve those that we lose. 
But maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's the loss of a job or the loss of a station, the loss of a, of a house or a possession or something that you loved, an heirloom that was passed on to you, but you've lost it or it was broken. And so you mourn, you mourn what was once yours, but it is, is now lost. But another type of, of mourning has to do with the suffering and the injustice that is in our world today. And you don't have to look very far to realize that there is a lot of both going on, right? There is a lot of suffering in our world going on. There is a lot of injustice in our world going on. People are being oppressed. People are being held down. They're being put down. They're being held captive by things. Being held captive and steeped in their sin. And when we take the blinders off and we look at the world through the eyes of Jesus... then we can begin to mourn the suffering and the injustice that's around us. And it becomes not just those people, but it becomes God's people. It's not just me and you. It's my name is Jason. Your name's Don. Your name is Cecilia. That comes about through a, a relationship with, with, with Jesus Christ. It brings us together. It, it connects us in our brokenness. But another type of, of, of mourning that is out there, and I think this is what Jesus is, is driving at. I think he's hitting both of these things that we've talked about, but I think he's calling us even deeper. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, I think what he is saying is blessed are those who are cut to the heart. Blessed are those who are beside themselves with, with grief. Blessed are those who cry out and, and weep over sin in their lives. Those who feel their sin, not just acknowledge sin. The message puts this verse like this. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then... Can you be embraced by the one most dear to you? You see, it's, it's one thing, it's one thing to, to be sorry. To be sorry about what we've done. But it is another thing completely to allow that sorrow to lead to life change. Are you with me? That's what Jesus is, is calling us to in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see, we see this story. We see it in Scripture. We see the difference between being sorry or at least acknowledging sin and being remorseful for sin. And you don't have to turn there. I'll tell you the story, and you know it very well. But in the, the book of 2 Samuel, we read the story of, of David, King David and, and, and Bathsheba. And we all know that story. Even people that don't go to church on a regular basis, they know who Bathsheba is and they know what, what David did. 2 Samuel 11 says that it was the springtime and that was when the kings went out to war. But as you read, you realize David is not out to war. He's at home in the palace. And I don't know if he's bored or can't sleep or whatever, but he walks outside and he looks down or he looks somewhere and he sees Bathsheba and she is bathing. 
And he is enthralled with lust for this woman. He is lusting over her. He's not acknowledging the beauty of God's creation. He is looking on that individual, not as an individual. He is not looking at the humanity of Bathsheba. He is looking at the object of Bathsheba. And he wants her. And he inquires and he has her brought over to the palace. And we know what happens. He sleeps with her. Sends her on his way. I mean, he's the king. He can do that. What happens? We know how it goes. Word is sent back sometime later. Don't really know how long it is. The word is she's pregnant. And David's the father. And David has a problem on his hands. Because Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is at the war during the springtime, fighting against the other kings and not with his king. His king is back home seducing his wife. And now she's pregnant. He has a problem on his hands. And so he summons Joab and he tells Joab, send Uriah, send Uriah the Hittite, send him home. So he does. David puts on a show, thank you for your service, hey, go home. Uriah won't do it. He will not go home. He will not go home because his comrades in arms, his brothers, his fellow soldiers are out there fighting. They don't get to go home. They don't get to be with their families. They don't get to be with their wives. So why should I do that? They they deserve it too. I can't do this. I honor those guys too much. And King David, I honor you too much for that. So he sleeps outside. David gets word. He's frustrated. So he brings Uriah back. And now he's got to do something different. And you know what he does? He gets him drunk. Because in his mind, he knows exactly what we know. And it's that if you give someone enough alcohol or enough of some chemical to change their mindset, you can probably talk them into a lot of stuff. And you can trick them and you can deceive them. And he thinks, if I get him drunk, he'll go home, he'll sleep with his wife, then then I'm off the hook. Hey, you were home, you slept with your wife. That's why she's pregnant, not because of any other, any other thing, not because of me. And so he gets him drunk. And Uriah the Hittite still has enough of his senses to not go home. He will not, he will not dishonor his king. He will not dishonor his country. He will not dishonor his, his fellow soldiers. He'll sleep on the dirt and the mud until his king sends him back. And so David summons him in, and he gives him a, a, a script. He says, you take this to the commander, you take this to Joab. And so he does, and he goes and he delivers the script. He puts it in Joab's hands, and what he hands Joab is his own death certificate. And he has no idea. He hands him 
his signed death warrant. It is the ultimate slap in the face to God. It is the ultimate slap in the face to this man who has honored his country, who has honored his king, who has honored his king's God. But David doesn't want to get caught, and he sends him back. And the story goes, the death certificate says, or the, the, the script to Joab says, take Uriah, and you put him in the battle where the fighting is the most fierce. And when it gets really fierce, I command you to command your troops to give ground to the enemy. But you leave Uriah the Hittite out there. And he's killed. Word is sent back to David. It's done. He's dead. You can imagine David. Now you know what it's like when you've done something. When you're, you've got something cooking and you're trying not to get caught. You're trying not to get found out. And then something happens. Somebody else takes the blame. Somebody goes away. Somebody dies. Somebody forgets. Somebody gets over it. You breathe this huge sigh of relief. Because I didn't get caught. I didn't get, I didn't get, I didn't get found out. So it goes on about his day. But th- th- there's some things to consider. There's some things to consider with this, with this story. There was some time. There was some time between that first instance of loss until another incident happened. And that's when Nathan the prophet comes to David. And then the prophet, he comes to, to David, to the king. And he confronts him about his sin. And he tells David a story. He said there were two men. One was rich, one was not. One, the poor, had a, had a sheep, a female sheep, a ewe. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 3 says, It was like a daughter to him. Those of you who have daughters, when you hear the word daughter, that means something, doesn't it? That registers on a deep emotional level, does it not? This lamb was like a daughter to this man. Well, the rich man had company. A traveler shows up. And the rich man, instead of taking from his own flock, goes and he takes the poor man's one sheep, one ewe lamb that he loved and raised and his children loved and he shared the food from his table with, took this lamb that was like a daughter. And he slaughtered it and he presented it before his his guest. That's the story that Nathan tells David. Listen to David's response to this story. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. And Nathan looked at David and said, You are that man. 
You are that man. You are the man who took the daughter that did not belong to you. And you killed the relationship. You killed a marriage. You killed Uriah the Hittite who honored you. Nathan goes on and he tells him some more things. So there was some time between lust to the story by Nathan the prophet. Do you think between that time, between the first sight of Bathsheba and being confronted by Nathan the prophet, do you think David was unaware of his sin? We know he wasn't. The text tells us that he wasn't because what did he do? He brought Uriah home from the battle. He tried two different times to get Uriah to go in and impregnate his wife or at least sleep with her so that the blame could be shifted or so that the pregnancy could be thrown off on Uriah. We know that he is aware of what he's done, right? He tries it on two different times. He is aware of his sin. Do you think, do you think King David happened to forget the words of Moses when Moses said, do not commit adultery? Do you think he forgot that during this time? Do you think he forgot what Moses said when he was given the word of God that said, you shall not kill? Do you think David the king forgot that? Because I don't. You see, his problem, and pay attention to this, don't miss this, his problem wasn't that he didn't know about his sin. His problem is what he felt about his sin. Do you see that? It's not what he knew. It's not that he knew about his sin, that he acknowledged his sin. His problem was what he felt about sin his sin. Nathan comes along and he tells him the story and it's for the first time for the first time when Nathan says you are that man that guilt and, and shame and remorse finally crowd in David and crush him to the depths of his soul and we know this because he went and he wrote create in me a clean heart O God And renew a right spirit within me. God, please cast me not away from your presence. Nor take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. David finally felt his sin. He felt the remorse. He felt the remorse of that sin. He felt that sin and it led it led to change. And we see it in the New Testament too very quickly Matthew 26 and we won't spend a lot of time here but you have the story of of Peter and Judas and you have you have repentance 
and remorse. We know that, that Peter and Judas, they both, they both betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Judas sold out Jesus. But they both betrayed Jesus. They both sinned against, against Jesus Christ. In, in Matthew chapter 26, Peter's standing around. He's trying to avoid what's going on. He's finally found out. He denies the Lord three times. And then what happens? The rooster crows in verse 25 says, end of, let's just look at the end of verse 74. It says, at that moment, the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then notice what it says next. He went out and he wept bitterly. Do you see that? What does that mean if you're weeping bitterly? That means you're more than just acknowledging what you've done. That means you feel what you have done, right? Yes? He feels it. He's weeping. Not just weeping. He's weeping bitterly. He had remorse, which led to repentance, which eventually is going to lead to restoration. John chapter 21, Jesus restores Peter back. But then you got the story of Judas. Just in the next chapter, Jesus, uh, Judas is feeling guilty about what he has done. He goes back to the high priest to bring back the silver. Verse 5 says, Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went out and he hanged himself. We see a tremendous difference in the response of Judas and the response of, the response of, uh, of Peter. Judas felt remorse i have no doubt about that in fact the text even says that he repented he felt remorse but the problem is it didn't lead to life change he let that guilt weigh him down and crush him down and break his soul but he did not let the lord pull him out of that he didn't let jesus pull him out of that he didn't let jesus restore him he went out and he took his life And I have no doubt that had he not done so, and had he begged Jesus for mercy, I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus would have restored Judas just as he restored Peter. Peter, Peter let his remorse, his feeling of his sin lead to life change. Judas let it end, let it lead to the end of his life. You see, and that's, that's the way it is for us. We can have one of those two responses. We can acknowledge our sin and feel our sin, but we still have to respond. Do we respond in repentance and change life just as David did, create in me a, a clean heart, O oh God? Or do we respond as Judas did, where I've blown it, I messed up, I feel terrible, and the only option I have left is to end my life. He didn't let it lead. He didn't let it lead to life change. So now the lens is, is turned on us and we ask ourselves, is there sin 
in my life that I am unmoved by. Is there a sin in your life that you are aware of, completely aware of, and know that it's wrong, but yet you're unmoved by it? Are you not, are you willingly choosing not to be the person that Jesus has called you to be? Do you act one way when you come in here and we're around each other and then act a completely different way when you're out in the world? Is it heaven on Sunday and hell the other six? Are you not being the spouse that you're supposed to be? Are you, as a wife, are you not honoring your husband the way that God calls you to honor your husband? As a husband, are you not loving your wife and giving yourself up for her the way Christ loved and gave himself up for the church? Are you willingly not doing that? Maybe you recognize it, but you're not doing it. You don't feel anything about it. Are you making choices that you know are contrary to the word of God and you know they're wrong, but you don't care? Are you in a relationship doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing? You know they're wrong, but you don't care. Are you unmoved by your sin? If you are unmoved by your sin, there's a different end of the rope. Judas found out. Remorse and repentance should lead to life change. It should lead to us making better choices. It should lead to us honoring God. Honoring the sacrifice that Jesus made. And every time we willingly choose to participate in what it is that we don't need to be participating in, we dishonor the sacrifice of Jesus. We're told that if we want to understand mourning, it has to be seen through the lens of poverty of the Spirit, which moves us to repentance. It's not enough just to acknowledge our sin. It's not enough just to recognize that we're spiritually destitute. We must mourn our sin. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, acknowledge that you're a sinner and feel that sin. But know that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Know that I desire love. Know that I have a burden that is lighter than anything else that you can possibly bear in this world. Know that I loved you enough that I was willing to lay down my life for a wretch like you. That's the amazing grace of Jesus. Let us not be guilty of cheap grace. Let us appreciate the sacrifice of 
of Jesus. And I was, if I was going to say anything, if I'm going to give us a, a growth point for the morning, it is simply this. The sinner that mourns is the soul that finds comfort. The sinner that mourns over her sin, the sinner that mourns over his sin, is the soul that is comforted and has the peace of God that passes all understanding. Even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of hurt and suffering, that's what the peace, that's what the peace of God does. So where are you? We all have sin in our life. Yes or no? So we acknowledge it, right? We all have sin in our life, but I'm willing I'm willing to step out on a limb and say while we all acknowledge we have sin in our life, I'm willing to step out that there's at least one person in here and probably more that does not feel sorry for the sin in their life. But the only way to find comfort is to acknowledge it, to feel it, and to turn to Jesus and let him heal it. I want to invite the crosswalk to come and join me back on the stage. And in a minute, we're getting ready to sing again, I Need Thee Every Hour. And this is the moment. This is, this is the, the, the moment where Satan's going to make it the absolute most difficult on you. And I know because this is where he makes it the most difficult on me. This is where he says, shh. Just keep this between me and you. This is the moment. This is the, this, right here, this is where the battle takes place. Right now. How do we respond? Do we respond the way of Jesus? Do we respond the way of, of Peter? Or will we respond the way of Judas that only leads to separation from God? The choice is, is yours. If you have that burden, don't go away with that burden. Don't carry that burden. Jesus doesn't want you to have that burden. He died so you don't have to have it. Leave the burden. Leave it at the cross and come before Jesus and cry out, I I need thee every hour. If we can help, Jeffrey's going to be down front. He's going to be here to receive your responses as we, as we sing together. I need thee every hour. I...